Absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy, Illyri. What are you drinking and thinking about today? Hello, Tim. I am drinking 50 millilitres of gin with 330 millilitres of tonic. Well, that's a very specific um, announcement to give me. It is indeed because I am thinking about measurements. Oh, well, I do see what you did there. And likewise, (laughs) I would normally say I'm drinking some wine or, you know, specifically, I'm drinking some French Sauvignon Blanc. But even more specifically today, I took the trouble to measure out 250 mils, (laughs) which I would never normally do. But in honour of (laughs) of measurements, I have done that today. I measured out 250 mils. I poured it into my glass. (laughs) I'm very glad that you also went for the larger measure. (laughs) Mm. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't know whether you're going to cover this at all, because I think you're going to say something about wine, so I might be jumping the gun. But but the 125 mils of wine, mm-hmm. are you going to say anything about that? I'm not, actually. I'm going to go way earlier than okay. the glasses. Then I, then I would just say this one thing, because uh, seeing a 125 measure of wine on um, you know a restaurant or a bar's menu, I just think, why? I know. You know, it's for people like one... who don't really want to drink wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a legal requirement, I discovered. According to the mm-hmm. Weights and Measurements Act, pubs have to serve a 125. You can't just serve 175 and 250. You have to mm-hmm. serve a small, small version, which was a 21st century thing. Um, yes. So although 125 measures existed like earlier in the 21st century, because most pubs had dropped that from their from their menus by that point because they obviously want people to drink more they said actually no we want to encourage people to drink less so you have to put it back on but still so many pubs don't they don't offer that um unless you specifically ask for it because they think it's kind of stupid um mm-hmm. as do i <laughs> <laughs> anyway i thought i'd throw that out as a starter <laughs> straight up rage <laughs> yeah um Shall I begin then? Shall I take us back through some history? Go for it. I'd love some history. All right. I'm actually going to ask you quite a few questions in this, mm-hmm. just to oh just to test your understanding. Are they going to be the kind of questions my doctor asks me about how much I'm drinking? <laughs> Thankfully, no. And you will not okay. be obliged to lie at any point throughout this, I hope. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's see what you've learned. Where do you think we first see recorded measurements? In history, hmm. I'm going to say the 14th century. Okay, so that's um, that's that's not an example of uh, something you've learnt. But um, the earliest known <laughs> uniform <laughs> systems of weights and measures go back to Mesopotamia. <laughs> oh, I was so close. <laughs> was li- I mean, it was literally about two weeks ago, but sure. <laughs> so- <laughs> So we're talking about the 4th and 3rd millennia BCE. It's across Mesopotamia, Egypt, the Indus Valley, um, those sorts of areas. First measurements that we know of come from parts of the body. Uh, Not that they were measuring their bodies. (laughs) I mean, they were using parts of their body to measure. So like forearm and hand and finger. And they would also obviously measure time by uh, the sun and the moon and other heavenly bodies. Those are the earliest measurements. When it gets to the point where they need to measure containers, volume, which is mostly what we're going to be talking about, obviously, because that's relevant for boozes. So when they're measuring volumes of uh, clay pots or gourds, they would fill them with plant seeds and then count those seeds to measure the volume and make that standard. And when that turned into measuring weight as well, they would still use um, seeds and stones as the standard. So you'd be familiar with weighing things in stones, but not necessarily seeds. Uh, For example, the carrot, which is still the unit for measuring weight of gems, for example, carrot um, comes from the carob seed, 
So that was the standard unit of measurement, carob seeds turned into carob. So the grain then was the earliest unit of mass. Um, it's the smallest unit that you find in either the apothecary or the avoir du poids system, the same kind of main systems. Avoir du poids means to see the goods. So if you were kind of literally trading grains and stuff, you'd probably use that system. The apothecary system, it, it's probably what you think it is. It's, you know, used in pharmacies and stuff. So if I was going to get a, a vial of tonic to um, revive my interest... Let's see, I'd, I'd be using different, a different <laughs> amount of measurements, uh, but maybe the same term in two different systems. So very early on, you get kind of differences, um, you know, that you would think would be the exact same measurement, but they're not. Um, the earliest uh, grain that was used for measurement would be wheat or barley corn. So very tied to booting because obviously everyone around there would bring beer. So they would all have, you know, barley corn and wheat to hand to be able to measure the amount of beer they are producing by just sort of counting the number of grains that would fill the pots. Uh, obviously, that's not as dense as most liquids, though. So later on, you do get water being used because obviously that's higher density. So you also get various interpretations of mass from that point as well, where it's diverging with pounds and ounces and other terms that you might encounter throughout this episode. So the metric system was first described in Europe in 17th century, although the decimal number system that metric is based on had been used for centuries before in India already. They were kind of much more mathematically advanced than we were, really. Uh, France officially adopted that system in 1799, and other countries followed on over the next two centuries quite gradually. Although, as you will be aware, we, and also the USA, and there are some other examples, still like to hold on to certain relics from before the metric system, like, for example, the pint. Who could, who could get rid of it? Would you be upset if we lost the pint to a metric system? Yeah. It, it, it would be one of those things where you just still use the word pint, I think. It's like when they renamed the Millennium Stadium the Principality Stadium. Nope, it's the Millennium Stadium. <laughs> Not having it. <laughs> yeah, Pint. exactly. Exactly. I think. Uh, I think the uh, well, as we'll as we'll find out, the exact kind of measurements associated with the pint change, but people still use the pint, but it can mean different things. So here's a question for you: Would you rather have a British or American pint? A uh, British. And why? Xenophobia. Um, no, because I've done some research for this podcast in American servings and right. for other alcoholic beverages, the American um, measurements are smaller. Well, so I'm hazarding a guess at them being smaller. You would be right. Uh, 10 points for um, Team Wales. So, uh, yeah, Yay. in both of the systems, British and American, it is one eighth of a gallon. But. The British Imperial pint is about 20% larger than the American pint because the two systems are defined differently. And that difference goes back mm -hmm. to 1824. So that was when the British Weights and Measures Act standardised various liquid measurements throughout the British Empire. And the US decided to stick with the earlier English measure. So it's not like the US came up with a different measure. We They had the English measure, but we decided to make our pints bigger because we're like that. And they didn't come with us because <laughs> at that point they weren't part of the British Empire. Um, so we ended up with this imperial pint that consists of 20 imperial fluid ounces and the US liquid pint is 16 US fluid ounces. So 1824... Precise was the update of the Weights and Measurements Act, but the old pint goes back to Magna Carta, in fact. Do we remember when Magna Carta is, kids? Sure. <laughs> For me, this is a test of my Simpsons knowledge, because I always remember Lisa Simpson making up a rhyme and going, 12.15 in running me, do-da, do-da. <laughs> I'm glad you said 12.15, because I did not... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 12.15 document sealed by King John, specifically Article 35 says, Let there be throughout our kingdom a single measure for wine, and a single measure for ale, and a single measure for corn, namely the London Quarter. So that's where we've got our origins of pint. It's from there. Uh, 
all of the other former British colonies like Canada, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, they converted to the metric system in 1960s and 70s. So while the term pint may still be in common use in those countries, it doesn't necessarily refer to the British imperial pint that was once used as standard across the British Empire. Mm -hmm. Um, Commonwealth countries, um, you might get the British imperial pint, uh, which is five, six, eight mils, to be precise. In countries that are serving larger numbers of American tourists, even if they're part of the Commonwealth, they would probably use the US liquid pint, which is 473 mils. And in some countries where they're fully committed to metric, they've just made it half a litre, so it's 500 mils. So it could be anything between those (laughs) when you order a pint (laughs) around the world. Uh, Another question for you. When you're in bilingual Canada... Should you order your pint in English or French? Mm. I feel like this is a trick question. I'm going to say English. Okay. Any reason? Because I'm thinking of the Stella Artois adverts when they have more froth at the top, they cut off, so you're going to get less beer. Right, so you think the French are just being froofy, the French Canadians. (laughs) Okay, so in Canada, the Weights and Measures Act of 1985 has the laws um, printed side by side, one in English, one in French. In the English one, it defines a pint as being an eighth of a gallon, but a pint in French is a quarter of a gallon. So, if you um, speak English when you're ordering a pint of beer in Canada, servers are legally required to serve you the five, six, eight mils of beer. But if you speak French and order une pint de bière, they are legally required to serve an imperial quart, which is one, one, three, six mils. So, over a litre, twice as much. You get two pints, basically, Ooh. if you order a pint in French in Canada. I feel like that's very that's like... useful to remember. Do you think that's... Co- it's still commonly used, or is that just something yeah. that's been romanticised a bit? No, no, no. It's quite, I mean, the law only came in in the mid eighties. It is, it is very common. The, the two languages do have a difference. They both have equal weighting in law. So yes, it is. I think, um, I think probably most Canadian bartenders would um, check that you knew what you were ordering. And I mean, also, it doesn't mean you're <laughs> going to get twice the amount for the same price. <laughs> you will have just ordered two pints of beer. Doesn't make it cheaper. <laughs> Um, that term is actually still... Rumour has it that if you order it... If you order it in Welsh, rumour has it that uh, you get a three-pint jug. <laughs> is this based yeah, on anything God. or have you just made this up? The Welsh are in. It's just... It's fact. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to take that one with a pinch of salt. Um, so the term... <laughs> Une pint is still uh, used in in limited ways in parts of France. Um, It it does mean they're an imperial court, so two imperial pints. Um, They would call a pint in France une chopine. Um, Pint does come from the Old French, um, but ultimately from common Latin, pincta. And pincta means painted. And that's because it's named after the marks that were painted on the side of the container to show capacity. Um, That's also the same root as something like a pinto bean, for example, which means painted bean because it's all mottled. So that's where that comes from. Pint comes from painted and you find it in in other things that look painted. Uh, Another question for you. How big is a Scottish pint? Oh, huge. You've heard you've heard several <laughs> options for different kind of interpretations of pints. You're saying huge? Yeah. Bigger than the French Canadian pint. Okay. So it's a now obsolete unit of measurement in Scotland. It did stay in use until the nineteenth century, which was a lot longer than most of the other Scottish measurements that had um, disappeared a lot earlier. To be precise, a Scottish pint is 1696 mils. So you are quite right. <laughs> it's about, yeah, it's about three pints. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was close with the Welsh one. 
That's counts. We like our three pints. Exactly. So I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not true for Welsh because if it's true for Scotland, it, you're probably right. It probably is true for Wales as well. Um, in Flanders, the word uh, pinche means little pint, and that's only 250 mils um, of a of a glass of lager. And some of the Flemish dialects will just use it as a word for beaker rather than kind of anything specifically alcoholic. The equivalent of pincher in German, pinchen, means a glass that's a third of a litre in around kind of Cologne and the Rhineland. And in South Australia, ordering a pint of beer gets you four to five mils. Um, so if you want a full pint, you have to specifically ask for an imperial pint of beer to get um, to get the larger version. There you go. The moral of the story of pints is be careful what you order. Um, and if you're going <laughs> to choose the destination to go binge drinking, obviously Scotland. <laughs> Ops. <laughs> yeah. With French Canada coming like in a close second. Yeah, you did already yeah. know that. Yeah, we all did. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's me done on pints. Um, I feel like I should talk about wine. If we're speaking mm-hmm. about pints. Pint mm-hmm. of wine, anyone? Mm. Um, so, yeah, with regards to measuring wine, obviously you mentioned earlier about the 125, two, 125 175, 250 mils. So that's how we kind of modern day think of measuring our wine. But I looked at how wine was kind of the, the casks of wine and how the big old barrels of wine were measured. Um, so those capacities of wine were originally measured and standardised using a specific system of English units, and it was usually just litres. Um, but it was in 1707 uh, that the definition of the gallon, um, the Queen Anne wine gallon, was created. Um, so in the United Kingdom then, and its colonies, those were redefined with the introduction of the imperial system, um, so the Queen Queen Anne wine gallon was adopted as the standard kind of gallon then, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so a gallon, one, two, six gallons was a butt of wine. So if you wanted to drink a buttload of wine, you had to drink yep. 126 gallons. Candy. Um, <laughs> that wasn't actually the biggest uh, cask that wine would come in. There was a ton, a ton of wine. That was 262 gallons. So to be precise, a buttload of wine is half a tonne of wine. Um, So when a tonne of wine was first established, it was 256 gallons, but it was reduced sometime before the 15th century. um, So it could be evenly divided by other small integers, including seven. Um, So then it was easier then to create these smaller casks of wine. So... Going from biggest to smallest, you've got your ton of wine, which is 252 gallons. You've got your butt of wine, also known as a pipe. That's half a ton. Uh, Then going down again, a third of a ton, uh, that cask would be called a puncheon of wine. Um, They think that name came because it was marked by the use of a punch to find the contents of the barrel. Um, a pension of wines also known as a tertian, that's a Latin name for third, so it's a third of a ton. Um, going down slightly smaller to a quarter ton, you've got a hogshead. Um, that is also used in beer, I think you'll mm. chat about that later, but similar size. Um, one sixth of a ton would be a tersh. I think I'm saying that right. T-I-E-R-C-E wine. Sounds right. Uh, one eighth of a ton, the next size down, is just a barrel of wine. Mm-hmm. And then one fourteenth of a ton is the rundlet. Uh, so when and when the imperial system was introduced, the ton had to be redefined. Um, in the UK, it was now 210 imperial gallons, which sounds a lot less, but it actually kind of didn't really change in the value or anything like that so yeah it kind of got smaller and smaller as they fiddled with it but still a ton of wine or a buttload of wine <laughs> uh, so the word butt 
for a butt of wine comes from the medieval French and Italian word for boot. Uh, it's still used today in Italy. It, uh, boot is used as um, a term just to describe a wine cask in Italy. Um, I found a really nice excerpt from a book called The History of Beer and Brewing online. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just a nice way of <laughs> showing how kind of beer and ale, but as well as wine, how it was procured, like the amounts that it was procured. <laughs> it was insane. Uh, so this excerpt is from when William Warham was um, enthroned as the Archbishop of Canterbury in 1503. I think they were planning a bit of a party. Uh, so this isn't the total amount of booze that was ordered for that. This is just some of the booze. Um, it was six pipes, so a pipe again is a butt, so half a ton. Six pipes of red wine, four pipes of claret, one pipe of white wine for the kitchen, two tishes of Rhenish wine, four tons of London ale, six tons of Kentish ale, and 70 tons of English beer. That is a party. That is a party. (laughs) That is a party. And the image I've got in my head is very (laughs) drunken clergy dancing atop barrels to, I like big butts and I care not lie. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how old that song is, but I presume that's what it's about. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, like in a but like in a sort of Middle Ages version. I like big butts <laughs> and I cannot lie. Do, 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 do. <laughs> you Christian brothers can't deny. <laughs> do, 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 do. This is my little pipe, by the way. It's not just me <laughs> singing badly. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> um. The only thing I had to add on wine, we'd already kind of said the Weight and Measures Act, 1963, Mm. uh, just confirmed that it was illegal to serve a short measure of wine. Um, But before that, there was no legislation, just guidelines on how much wine or spirit to serve. Uh, Which, by the sounds of it, they needed those guidelines to be legalised from what (laughs) I read about William Warham's little party. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we could drink a buttload of wine. Yeah. I wonder how long it would take us to drink a buttload of wine. Tell me, tell me again how much it is. I'll try and figure it out. So it's a hundred and twenty-six gallons. Hundred and twenty-six gallons in. I'm going to put it in liters, so I've got a better idea. So that's, I say, uh, right, okay. 475 litres. So we're talking a good sort of 800 bottles of wine, aren't we? 800 bottles of wine. That sounds like my... that can be like an... This can be like an ongoing thing with this podcast. We can have a... A A tally. wine count, how many... We can have a tally and when we get there we'll, we'll celebrate having done a buttload. Yeah, we'll celebrate by ordering everything that William ordered right. him out for his This sounds party. like another this sounds like another <laughs> spreadsheet job for you. <laughs> I like how this podcast has resulted in you having like numerous <laughs> spreadsheets. <laughs> we should just try to and track make our antics for charity. Larry and Tim's just given. We're gonna drink a buttload of wine. <laughs> I feel like there are some Please laws against us. that. I feel yeah. <laughs> I feel like I remember somewhere in the back of my mind there being some laws against doing things like drinking for charity. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Maybe it's just that you can't get tax aid on it. Gift aid. <laughs> you can't gift aid our drinking for charity. I think it's not allowed. <laughs> Government I'm going to look into no. it. I'm sure, I'm sure my friends would sponsor me. I'm sure they would. Load. I'm getting carried away. I'm going to pass yeah. back to you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got another question for you. If I said to you that I would like a dram of whiskey, how much would you pour? Mm-hmm. Uh, like 50 mils. And that's why you're my friend. Um, <laughs> so, a, a dram is... Although they do say a wee dram... Small in it, a wee dram. Yeah, yeah. I liked your sort of Scott Scots Welsh hybrids uh, version of that as well. 
It was very, right. it was, it was very Cardiff upon Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not from Cardiff. I'm not saying that. All right. Okay. So a dram. <laughs> she looked at me like, did you say I was from Cardiff? <laughs> did you say the C word? Oh. Uh, yes. Dropping C bombs in the bloody podcast. Yeah. Um, I might, I might bleep it. <laughs> Just so people wonder what the C word was. <laughs> okay, a dram is both a unit of weight and a measure of liquid capacity. So dram comes actually not from Scotland, from uh, from Greece, from ancient Greece. It's the Greek comes from the Greek word drachme, which means handful, but was also their unit of currency originally, drachme. So as a unit of weight, a dram is one sixteenth of an ounce, which in metric, is about 3.5 mils. 3.5 mils. As a liquid measure, a dram is an eighth of an ounce. So, smaller units that constitute liquid drams are called minims, and there are 60 minims to a fluid dram. Dram, though, has obviously come to mean more broadly a small amount of anything, um, especially a small amount to drink. So, my experience of going to Scotland is if you ask for a dram, they're not going to give you 3.5 mils. They're actually going to give you 35 mils. There's no official standard on that, but that is generally what you'll get. You'll get more than a shot, you'll get less than a double, you'll get 35 mils if you ask for a dram in Scotland, I have found. So, your your 50 was rather generous. I like how that's gone from 3.5. Yeah, it was, but still, like, 3.5 to 35 is a big old jump. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But I mean, can you imagine being poured three point five mils of anything? <laughs> but you know, it comes to time where offends me more than the wine. Yeah, but you know, whiskey used to be obviously like a lot more uh, valuable than expensive, so it kind of makes sense they would need to measure it in small amounts. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, another question: How are your scruples? I've had no complaints. <laughs> Good. Um, a scruple <laughs> is uh, a small amount of something, and it's used in the apothecary system that I mentioned earlier, um, used for weights by pharmacists. So, in this system, the smallest unit is the grain, and a scruple is about well, it is equivalent to twenty grains. And then, as the weights increase, a dram is three scruples. So how do we how do we go down from a dram in the apothecary system? It's that an ounce is eight drams and a pound is twelve ounces. Scruple in this context comes from the Latin word meaning small, sharp stone. So today's scruples would weigh just under one point three grams. Um, it's generally used though to mean something that's a minute quantity or an iota. Um, I've got a couple of Shakespeare examples coming up actually, just because. I'm familiar with Shakespeare and, you know, kick back to an older episode. In Measure for Measure, appropriately enough, um, he says, Nature never lends the smallest scruple of her excellence. So, Measure for Measure scruples, as meaning a small thing. The other kind of scruples, which I'm more familiar with, and maybe you are, which is why I was asking you um, (laughs) whether you'd had any complaints, (laughs) is uh, meaning ethical consideration. Like, do you have scruples? Do you have those kinds of ethics? Um, but it comes from the same root and it comes out of the metaphor, uh, meaning, um, a source of anxiety or uneasiness from the idea that you would have a small sharp stone that causes discomfort in your shoes, for example. Um, that also gives rise to scrupulous, uh, meaning to be careful. Um, so scrupulous comes from scruple, all of that meaning, whether it's the size, the weight, your ethical considerations, or to be careful, all comes from that tiny, small, sharp stone. Um, barrels. So we, as you said, we did do this before. We did an episode on barrels, so easier to go back and listen to that. But just as a quick reminder, a barrel is uh, among one of the oldest units of measurement we have, referring, you know, particularly enough to the amount contained within a barrel. Um, but unlike some of the other ancient vessels that today just refer to the unit of measurement, like gallon or quart, a barrel is still used as a word for anything that's kind of visually round wooden container with curved sides and flat ends. Um, a firkin 
is both the vessel and the measure equivalent to a quarter of a barrel, uh, which, you know, is useful to have because barrels are, are very large. They contain 31 gallons uh, and a gallon of water weighs eight pounds. So that's very heavy. So people would, you know, prefer to handle their firkins. I imagine. <laughs> um, firkin comes from the middle Dutch word, Fierdelkin, uh, which essentially means fourth because of it being um, a, a fourth of a barrel. Um, Today, a firkin is sometimes used to just generically mean a cask of beer, so something small that's easier to handle rather than large barrels. And if you want a larger cask, that's half a barrel, that's a kilderkin. That's a quick reminder of the barrels. Um, Some of the older names as well that still mean liquid measures, but we wouldn't necessarily think of as being containers. Uh, Gallon. That comes from medieval Latin galetta, which means jug or pail originally. And quart also referred to a container rather than a specific measure. So again, Shakespeare mentions sealed quarts and uh, as sort of official proof that it's the correct amount of liquid as opposed to an open container. So we find that in Taming of the Shrew. Uh, There's a line that says, because she brought stone jugs and not sealed quarts which is to suggest that that would be something to distrust. Um, Something smaller than the pint that we don't hear much about anymore is a gill. That comes from the Latin word for water pot. So probably you'd have a smaller, you know, cup of water along with your larger beer. Um, And then I've mentioned ounce. That's even smaller as well. What I didn't say is it comes from the Latin word unus, which means one. Although that's obviously confusing because an ounce is usually described as a fraction of something bigger, like it being a sixteenth of a pint. Um, there you go. So those are some of the uh, the smaller ones. I've got another kind of beery measure, but I think I want to leave it for the grand finale because it's a, a bit of an epic undertaking. So I'm going to hand back to you for a bit while I continue with oh, my dear. increasingly small measure of wine. <laughs> well... We are heading towards the grand finale. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's about the right time to do some shots. Mm. Oh man! Mm-hmm. Okay. Do I have? I mean, do I have yes. to? Are you? Yes. What would be your shot of choice? If I was going to do a shot right now. Yeah, or just generally when you're out and somebody says shots, what's oh. going to? I mean, as you know, I'm not really a shot person. I like to enjoy my drinks rather than chin it. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I would, if someone said, do you want a shot of something? I'd probably go tequila. Yeah, I thought you were going to say tequila. Yeah. Hmm. I'll take anything, me. Um, What about the drink, though? (laughs) (laughs) Don't my mum listens to this. (laughs) It's your mum who told me. Hi, Hi, Liz. (laughs) Hiya. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, shots, as I mentioned, Weights and Measures Act uh, legalised a specific amount that spirits had to be served. Um, Obviously in the UK we know 25 mils as a single measure and 50 mils as a double measure. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are multiple ways that these are measured out behind bars and in pubs and in clubs. Um, so just going to quickly run through a few. Um, we all have seen and known what optics are. Um, I've actually got some in my house. A little fancy one that Chris bought me on like a little spinny wheel for mm. optics. Um, so of course you can get those in single or double measures. Um, you can get measured pores, which is um, a kind of rubber-ended cork that sits at the bottom at the top of the bottle with a metal pourer at the top. Uh, so you can have a, f- a measured pour or you can have a free flow pour. So the measured pours have an internal mechanism that kind of stop the liquid from pouring after a certain amount has been poured through it. So it's like two or three little um, metal balls inside that contraption. So when it's tipped at around 45 degrees, it will just go 25 mils and stop. Uh, with the free flow pause, it's a similar looking thing. So you've got the rubber cork bit that you put at the top of the bottle. It's got a metal pour. 
but these are specifically designed to um, release one fluid ounce per second. So if you have ever done like cocktail classes or anything like that, um, they do tend to tell you to flip it over and count to usually four. But I've been there, done that, and I've often gone one, <laughs> two, <laughs> and they're like, okay, enough. <laughs> but yeah, you're meant to count four seconds. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting one that I found was a ball measuring cap, which is quite common in France. I'll be honest, I googled it and I didn't really recognise it. I don't think I've knowingly seen one. It's like a T-shaped uh, glass tube that sits at the top of the bottle. On one end, it's like a bulbous ball of the glass that's been blown. And then at the other end, then, you've got a cap or a cork. And the way in which they do it is they'll tip the spirit upside down so that the ball bit of the glass tube fills up, and then that's your measure. So they'll tip it upside down to fill the ball and then tip it to the side to then pour that. Yeah, If you ask it. me, it looks like an absolute faff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can picture it, though. I can picture it. it makes um, sense. Yeah, well, it doesn't make sense. It feels like somebody just made a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> maybe maybe bet... it came as a result of someone being told to only pour for four seconds and then they employed someone like you. And they were like, we need something else. <laughs> <laughs> we need something really convoluted, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the most common... Uh, pouring device we usually have them at home is a thimble or a double thimble or as some people know it a jigger mm. uh, you can have single ones or you can have double ones um, usually they are um, in the UK anyway it's 25 mils and you flip it over for your 50 mils so you've got your single and double pours on them but in the US especially they sometimes have like a three to two ratio on it um, in cocktail bars, things like that so it depends what you're measuring um, I looked into uh, the jigger the history of it um, the name actually so there's a few different theories online as to what well, like where the name came from um, the one that seems most common, most likely is that um, Sailors who, as we know, like their rum and their booze mm-hmm. rations, they um, renamed it after the lowest sail on the ship's fourth mast, which was called the Jigger Mast. So um, some people say it's that. Other people say that um, back in day in New York, when the Irish immigrants were um, labouring to create the canals there, the young lad that used to provide them with their whiskey was known as the Jigger Boss. So mm-hmm. it could have come from that, but a lot of people seem to think that that was just a kind of adaptation of the word. It was. It, people seem to think it came from the sailors calling it, uh, naming it after the Jigger Mast, and then people then just nicknamed this guy the, the Jigger Boss because it was just the word that they knew. But then other people say, no, it hasn't come from anywhere. It's a completely made-up word, like thingamajig. So... I have to say, I, I, that's the one I believe. Um, if you ask me where that would come from, I'd be like, <laughs> it's onomatopoeic. It feels like you're doing some jiggy. Like when you pour it, yeah. and you're like, oh, it's, you know, it's the, it's the thingamy. It's the jigger. It's the what's it. It's the yeah. doodah. Absolutely. It's yeah, I think, I think it's that. Yeah. Okay. Each to their own. I like it having a, a story, but whatever. Um, (laughs) it was the double jigger was invented in 1893 by a chap called Cornelius Dungan and I could not find much about that man online at all at all at all at all I tried and tried but there's just not much on him Hmm. Uh, the patent is still listed online from back in the day but um, yeah it's a shame because I think should be celebrated. <laughs> He's invented the thingamajig in a thing. <laughs> well, you say he should be celebrated. Um, I mean, we've we've both been um, bar people. Have have you a preference of kind of which version to use? Have you ever done free pouring as well? Um, I didn't have to do. Well, I say didn't have to do. I probably wasn't trusted to do free pouring. Mm. Um, 
but I much preferred using the jigger than the optics because the opt the optics we had were the twenty five mil ones, and everyone was all in dribbles, and you have to like push the button and then wait for it to refill, and it was like those precious seconds behind a busy bar where you're like, come <laughs> yeah. on. So I much preferred pouring in a jigger. We. Uh, in one of the bars I worked in, which had particularly um, well trashier clientele, let's just say that, um, we had <laughs> two versions of it. So we would have like the not, for example, the nicer vodka, the actual branded vodka <laughs> would be twenty five mils, <laughs> but the like house one would the optic would be fifty mils because no one's ordering a single of that. <laughs> if you're ordering that one, it's for a reason. <laughs> so that that would be. Prepared. It was always. Um... It was always Bailey's and Bell's whiskey would have the 50 mil ones. Well, that was the standard <laughs> measure. You wouldn't have yeah. a smaller one than that, yeah. Um, I've done free pouring as well, though, um, when not working at a bar, but, like, being... You know, sort of like when you when you work for an event and you're working behind mm-hmm. a makeshift bar, not a sort of licensed bar, as it were. I've done free pouring for them yeah. because no one cares. Like, no one's coming in to check. So um, I would, you know, you'd be <laughs> at these sort of, I remember actually being at the, I think it was the V&A, the, the Victorian Albert Museum, working an event there. And I had a station in one of the galleries and all I was serving was Seabreeze. So, you know, it was like, mm. well, what's the point in waiting for someone to come and order a Seabreeze? I just lined up all the glasses on the, on the bar in front of me, got a bottle of vodka <laughs> and just went up and down the line like I was in some sort of American 80s movie. <laughs> Uh, and then down the other line with some cranberry juice and with the hand. There were no official measures that day. <laughs> Don't arrest me. Did you have like a secret favourite person where you were like, I'm definitely going to save their marbles? Yeah, me. I think I definitely... <laughs> <laughs> me. Me. That was me. Um, to sp- speaking of measures, so I've said 25mm and 50mm are the standard here in the UK, but... Um, they are different across the world. Uh, I did find a list of pretty much all of the different small, uh, well, single double standard measures um, in several countries. Uh, would you like to hazard a guess as to which countries had the larger measures? On my list, I have six countries. Okay, larger measures of spirits. Yes, I can tell you what the so- measures are. Okay. So their version of a single is 50 mil mm-hmm. and a double is 100 mil. So I'm uh, straight away, the first thing that pops into my head is it's probably vodka, it's probably Poland and Russia. So I would two go for those. Six so far. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'd be <laughs> surprised if the rest of them weren't surrounding that region. I would imagine, you know, we're also talking, I don't know, um, Georgia, Ukraine, Finland, maybe places like that. You're in the right area. We've got Bulgaria, Romania, Slovenia and Albania. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) I was in the neighbourhood. There was one country on there that was significantly less than everyone else. Any ideas who was a bit stingy on their paws? Ooh. I was really surprised as well. Iceland? Not one I thought it would be. No. I don't know why I went for them. Although, saying that, um, Norway did come in um, as low as well. Mm. Oh, yeah, I was thinking I was thinking it would be a Scandinavian one of some kind, except for Finland. Mm. Um, after that, it's, I think it's not I what guess. You think. Oh, okay, it's not going to be where I think. I was, th- I was thinking Scandinavia first, <laughs> and then I was going to go to the Middle East. But if it's not where I'm thinking, then I will mm-hmm. say Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually Germany. Oh. So in Germany, shot glasses are much smaller, and their standard pores are twenty mil and forty mil for a single and a double. Oh, Germany. It's very disappointing. Although, very I mean, I've They're never had anything. Exactly, I've never had anything but beer, so it's not <laughs> going to affect me in Germany. <laughs> uh, so, just to finish, I did look into the history of shots, the name uh, 
where shot came from. Any ideas why we call them shots? Um, I mean, I suppose I always thought it was to do with like the size of ammunition. Like it was related mm-hmm. to that. It was like ammunition related as opposed to anything else, but I don't know. Um, yeah, pretty close. I mean, from what I've discovered, it comes from the Old West. Um, cowboys would pay for their whiskey with bullets. Which oh, is okay. Shot originated. Um, so, yeah, the word shot has been used since the 17th century. Um, and then just generally referring to a shot as a small drink. That's been kind of colloquially used since the 1920s. And it wasn't until the 1940s that we started really talking about shot glasses. There were other theories out there that said that um, you don't call them shots because of the cowboys. It was about a guy called Frederick Otto Scott. Or Schott. Uh, he started a glasswork factory making shot glasses. But I feel like that's a pretty big yeah. kind of legacy to have <laughs> yeah, yeah just for a dude that owned a factory mm-hmm. so i'm going with the cowboys yeah i like that one anyway it's more fun the next time i owe someone a drink i'm gonna pay him back in bullets i've actually got a bullet on my key ring so forever in desperate measures why <laughs> is this some sort of like um quentin tarantino revenge drama in the making <laughs> i don't know Lucky to get it, actually. I forgot that it was on my keys, and I put my keys in the little tray in the airport and went through security. <gasps> and like, um, you can't bring that bullet through. I was like, oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> you tried to take a bullet through airport security. I know. Do you know what? Side note, I have, I have a friend who um, tried to take... Um, <laughs> tried to take... What are they? Oh, what's it called? Like the... Uh, the gas sprays, like uh, that oh. women would have for self-defense. I've forgotten the name of it. Yeah, like pepper spray and stuff. Pepper spray, thank you. Yeah. I was thinking it's not CS gas. That's too harsh. Pepper spray. So, <laughs> uh, speaking of German, like her her dad gave her this like German pepper spray to protect herself while she was in London, mm-hmm. <laughs> big bad London, which, as it turned out, was even illegal to possess at all in this country. But she forgot she had it into her bag and she went into the Houses of Parliament to visit someone. And security were like, why are you bringing an illegal weapon into the Houses of Parliament? And she was like, I just forgot it was there. She got arrested and had to go to court. (laughs) (laughs) So you got off lightly. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, she had to plead plead guilty and like get off with the caution and all that business. Pay a fine, actually, I think she did. Oh, that's a good story, that one. (laughs) I won't say who it is, just to protect Um, her modesty. (laughs) But she knows. I'm I'm ready for your big finale as well. Um, What about my last last fact? (laughs) (laughs) Let's keep it clean. (laughs) Shan't. So, another question. Have you ever done a yard of ale? No, I haven't. I've chinned several pints, but mm-hmm. not a yard of ale. I don't think I could do it, to be honest. Even in my heyday, I don't think I would have. <laughs> so, a yard of ale, so everyone's up to speed, is a very tall beer glass um, which contains about two and a half pints. Uh, depending upon the diameter. So yard veil because the glass is approximately a yard long and it's shaped with uh, a bulbous bottom and has a <laughs> widening shaft, which um, is what makes up the uh, the height of the glass. So it originated it's probably... Such a way with words. Thank you. Yes, I do. Um <laughs> The glass probably originated in 17th century England, uh, where it would have been known mostly as a long glass rather than Yard of Ale specifically. Mainly used for special toasts, drinking feats, pub challenges, that sort of thing. It doesn't really have like any other uh, sensible traditional use. It's not something that was used sensibly and then we just 
co-opted into a drinking challenge it's always been a drinking challenge <laughs> uh, before i go on to more about that a note on just uh, yard so the origin of um yard as a measurement is a bit uncertain uh, but the reason I bring it up is because both the Romans and the Welsh used uh, m- uh, candidates for the origin. So they both used multiple versions of um, feet. So two and a half um, feet was a step in Roman for, for Romans. They called it a, a gradus. Um, three Welsh feet was a pace or a cam, as it was otherwise be known. There is also... Um, L, which comes from Middle English Eln and Proto-Germanic before that, um, which means an arm's length. And that's one and a quarter yards, a modern L is. So there are different versions of this where, you know, we might have gotten the yard from. It could be three English feet from pacing. Others say it's from the L. um, Others from Henry I's arm standard is a popular myth probably not true but they say it's like uh, it came from henry the uh, the first and then there are other etymologies around yard like so in the sense that yard means sort of an enclosed space or garden um it, it, that has the same etymology as maybe coming from the girth of a person's waist and some people <laughs> think it comes from a cubic measurement so we don't really know but i thought i'd mention it because potentially it comes from the welsh meaning three feet um drinking yes. the yard of ale does require a bit of skill um as i discovered the first time i tried this <laughs> um so you have to You've raise the oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There were there were a few of them knocking around Devon. There were there were a few there. So this uh, it's quite a university thing as well as as we would discover. So the stem of the glass, you have to raise it quite carefully as you start to drink it, and then the trick is that you have to spin it as you're drinking it, because what that does is it prevents an air pocket from forming behind um, uh, the contents at the base which otherwise sort of makes the flow stop as you get to horizontal. And then as soon as you tip it above you, you just get a face full of beer. <laughs> <laughs> so if, you, if you're trying to drink a yard of ale, remember to spin your base. <laughs> Sit and spin <laughs> is, is the advice. Spin it. Yeah. How, um, how the, did you do when you uh, attempted it? Well, the first time I got a face full of beer. <laughs> like I got halfway through it. I had probably the pint was fine, and then the second pint was all over me because I did not know this trick at that time. Um, also, I I I worked in a bar that had um, really trashy like plastic flasks for a yard uh, a yard drink, but we didn't put beer in them. We made cocktails. We made seasonal cocktails <laughs> in a yard cup and it was my job to make and name the cocktails so i I remember i did the christmas ones yeah christmas cocktails so we had uh snowman's carrot (laughs) and (laughs) santa's sack i tell you we sold a lot of santa's sack um for yard cocktails (laughs) and it was mostly like lemonade and grenadine it wasn't it didn't have that much in it yeah pretty (laughs) great my cocktails were always what's left over in the stocks what does no one order let's create a seasonal cocktail out of that and sell it for five pounds Quantrill, grenadine and tea maria (laughs) yeah yeah this is this is why i should never be in charge of a bar really okay so um the fastest drinking of a yard of ale in the Guinness Book of Records, is five seconds. Oh, that's rank. (laughs) Yeah, two and a half pints down in five seconds. I'm going to tell you about that person in a bit, who that is that holds the record. But before I do that, I want to tell you about the record prior to that. Because this was in 1954, and it was 11 seconds, and it was a guy called Bob Hawke, who you probably won't have heard of, but he's actually the former Australian Prime Minister. (laughs) (laughs) So before the current one, he is the former record holder for drinking, fastest drinking of a yard of beer. Um, In the Guinness Book of World Records, 
it says that he achieved this in the Turf Tavern pub, which is a 14th century historical pub in Oxford, um, in, in this country. And um, it was kind of renowned for being a, a bookmaker's pub just outside the city walls. In fact, if you go there now, they still have a blackboard marking that achievement. However, uh, Hawke's <laughs> version of events that he lists in his memoirs says that the world record wasn't set at the turf, but at the dining hall of the university college that he attended uh, when he was a student. And uh, this is kind of like part of a traditional punishment, a drinking punishment, or sconcing, as it, as it would otherwise be known. Um, and he, he said it was for failing to wear his academic gown to dinner. So I've got actually a bit from his memoirs. I should probably do the accent right. It would only be respectful to do it. Oh, please do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some bastard had borrowed mine, Hawk wrote. And as a punishment, he was sconced. Forced to beat the sconce master in drinking from a pewter pot equivalent to a yard glass or face a fine. I was too broke for the fine. A necessity became the mother of ingestion. I downed the contents of the pot in 11 seconds, left the sconce master floundering and entered the Guinness Book of Records with the fastest time ever recorded. This feat was to endear me to some of my fellow Australians more than anything else I ever achieved. I don't know what particular Australian accent he had, but it probably wasn't that one. Um, yeah, I didn't so, yeah. he was from... <laughs> well, Birmingham. <laughs> Birmingham. <laughs> um... So, yeah, so his story is that kind of that happened in the college. I think probably the truth of it is that he did it more than once. <laughs> I mean, if you think back what? to your uni days, if you had managed to down a yard of ale in 11 seconds, every weekend someone's going to ask you to do that to show you. Instant so I think probably trip. he did do it in the... Yeah, I imagine he did do it probably first in the hall, but he also then probably did it again in the tavern, so I don't think anyone's lying. Um, you still... And he managed to keep enough brain cells to be prime minister... I'm not going to make any comment on that. Um, <laughs> no, actually, to be fair, to be fair, history looks on him quite kindly as an Australian Prime Minister. He's considered to be one of the better ones, uh, particularly in modern times. Uh, he he pushed quite hard. Um, he actually sobered up before he he became Prime Minister. He um, he stopped drinking <laughs> and he pushed for a lot of equality um, in in. In Australia in those times. I mean, I know they've got a long way to go, but some of the modern prime ministers they had have been horrendous. So um, history looks on him quite kindly. Um, yeah, you <laughs> still get a lot of um, pubs called the Yard of Ale, and they'll usually have a yard glass hanging on the wall, um, but um, it will be a rare occasion, probably, where you actually get to order one these days, I think. Yeah. So I said I was going to tell you about the current record holder. The, uh, the five seconds for drinking a yard of ale. That's, I mean, that's a huge difference, isn't it? Five seconds, 11 seconds. That's yep. monstrous. So his name is Pete Dowdswell, Peter Dowdswell. He actually currently holds the world record for the most world records. He is he's British. God, he's one of them. Yeah. He's made his life to break world records. So, um he's he's a British guy. He's uh broken 313 world records and uh, over 100 of them are still listed as being records. So, I haven't read through all of these. I'm doing it as we speak just because I thought we'd enjoy going through <laughs> this together. A lot of them are for drinking. Okay. A lot of them. <laughs> Most of them are for drinking. <laughs> so, um, the... Are there any there you think we could give a go? Well, so, I mean, I was going to say, first of all, the Yard of Ale, um, the two and... There are, there are a lot of listings for Yard of Ale. You would think it would just be one, but there are many. So there's the two and a half pint version, as I said, which is most typical, which is down as 4.9 seconds. But then there's a three pint version, <laughs> which is five seconds. It goes up to... A, a yard of ale, eight pints. An eight pint yard of ale in 22 seconds. I die. He's also done <laughs> a yard of champagne <laughs> at three and a half pints, which is 14.2 <laughs> seconds. I think that's much worse. 
Like, yeah, at least, at least I... ale isn't fizzy. <laughs> I need to Google this guy while I'm talking about him because I need to know what he looks like. Yeah, everyone I'm should go and Google. Him to look... This is one of those I'm just going Google. Him to things. look like um, Peter he, Griffin. Um, he also drank. Um, a pint of champagne upside down. <laughs> upside down, pint of champagne in two seconds. He um, looks... He doesn't it, look like what I expect. <laughs> no? The first picture I found is a picture of him with a face full of pickles. Oh, well, there are, yeah, there are more things that I will get onto. So, um... More drinks. Uh, he did a yard of Coke, which I'm presuming is Coca-Cola, <laughs> rather than anything oh, else. Boring. Um, four and a half pints <laughs> in ten seconds. There's a lot of him drinking milk upside down. Um, he um, he. Oh, this record. Brace yourself. Oh God. What? How many pints do you think he drank in three hours? Pints in three hours. Okay. I'm gonna say thirty pints. Ninety. What? How is this man still alive? I don't know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like this one. This actually goes back to our Mesopotamian episode a little bit. Um, he drank a pint of beer in eleven point six seconds through a six millimeter straw. <laughs> <laughs> I think this guy needs to get. An actual hobby. <laughs> I, I I admire this. I like this kind of commitment to uh, really intense, stupid things. Um, he ate 32 Brussels sprouts in one minute. That sounds doable. <laughs> you never go at that one. Is that the one? Yeah, I'll do. That's the one. I'm not drinking uh, 90 pints. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, here's here's one you would also probably have a good go at. How many donuts do you think he managed to eat in eight minutes? Oh, God, this is... I bet it's that weird thing where he, like, dips it in a cup of water and just slops it down his throat. Ugh. Um, how many minutes? Eight. Eight minutes. Eight minutes. I'm going to say three donuts a minute. Give or take. Let's say no, 25. the challenge is do some math. <laughs> <It was laughs> like, 25 donuts. It was 113. This guy is... <laughs> I, I, I have no words. Yeah. Le- legend, I think I would... Um... Yeah. So, um, the, I think Gherkins is the one you maybe saw him with. Do you want to yes. know that one? How many so Gherkins it, he fit in his it mouth? Was how many, it was how fast he could eat a pound of Gherkins. <laughs> and that was 27.2 seconds. This guy's insides must be rotten. <laughs> Just, I mean, I could go on and on about this guy because there are so many, so many. I will finish on. I'll finish on one because otherwise this could go on forever. You're just gonna have to Google him yourself. Um, <laughs> but this. I was gonna okay. This is the one I was gonna finish on, and then I saw this other one. So the one I was gonna finish on was eating sausages upside down, <laughs> which was nineteen and a half seconds, and he ate four. But the one just above it, the record is. Okay, I almost can't say that. Okay, here we go. It was <laughs> eating sausages on John Evans' head. <laughs> I don't know who John Evans is, but. This is funny. So he managed to eat 12 five-inch sausages while balanced on John Evans' head for 10 seconds. I don't know whether that means he was balanced on John Evans or the sausages were balanced on John Evans. <laughs> and why? How does he even come up with these? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I love this stuff. I love people who do ridiculous world records. Anyway, the whole podcast could have been just me reading out all those details. You're going to have to go and Google it. But um, I felt like I had to just finish on that one. <laughs> Anything else to add before we um, end, uh, exit the world of measures? Nothing. I'm just immediately going to go and eat a sausage upside down because I'm just intrigued. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> do, do a handstand, put a sausage in you. And so our glasses hover and dry, which means it's time to gently grasp the shaft, twist the bulbous bottom, and chin that yard of ale. Cheers, everybody! Cheers! I'm going to chin a yard of ale on John Evans's head. That was the most distracted cheers you've ever said. <laughs> you, were, you were so deep in thought, you were like, yeah, cheers. Still thinking about sausages in someone's head. You really didn't mean that, cheers. I didn't. I didn't no. even. It was no. automatic. It didn't yeah, I know. Mean, I'd said I cheers. Tell. I was I like, cheers, sausages. <laughs> Or land or sea or fall You can always hear me sing in the song Show me the way to go home And other countries followed over the next two centuries quite gradually Although, as as is evident <laughs> One second, my dishwasher's <laughs> emptying Is that a euphemism? <laughs> It's like flooding my basement, but the opposite. 